You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 14.7, his averaging finish on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's going to significantly jump up. Mark James, help bring home Alex Below. Uh, with American Legion sponsorship on one of the side pods, he is a likable young driver, and he will come off of turn number 14 and see the twin checkers in the air. Alex Below, a dominant run. He led 53 laps on the day. He goes to victory lane by 16. 15 seconds over Pato Award. Mark James on the call for IndyCar Radio on Saturday. Alex Pillow in dominating fashion, winning the GMR Grand Prix of Indianapolis. And now it is on to the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And the Spaniard now joins us on the Payless Liquors hotline. Alex Pillow, I will begin with the uh, question that everybody wants to know. And that is, you have had a tradition of eating... Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Fried chicken dinners when you win a race. Did you enjoy fried chicken on Saturday? And if so, from where? Absolutely. How are we doing, guys? Thank you for having me. Um, well, we had a little bit of uh, dinner at home. So um, some of my family members uh, are here already to um, to enjoy the, the Indy 500. And we just ordered a little bit at home to, to celebrate and, and continue the tradition. But yeah, super excited of, uh, of last weekend. Uh, couldn't be a better start for the 10 car uh, for the month of May. Alex, I was joking with Jake at the start of the show. I'm like, a 16-second win, that's like something you see on the F1 front. You've had a dominant win before, but again, it's not something that's been the norm this season in IndyCar. Uh, How surprised were you by the gap? And I guess, when did you know that you had such a dominant car and and certainly a dominant strategy? Um, Well, honestly, we we had an amazing car since we got there. Uh, We've always been quite fast, but not... Uh, this fast, honestly, at, at the road course. Um, but yes, in practice one, we, we felt that we were really good. And then during the warm up, we actually struggled a little bit on, on the soft tear compound. Uh, so we went for a completely different strategy to, to start, um, compared to our competitors and it paid off. So yeah, we, we just had a clean day. Um, the crew was amazing on the pit stops. Uh, the strategy calls were on point and, we could just uh, push as much as we wanted, and that's why we opened such a big gap. That yeah, it's maybe not what uh, we're used to in IndyCar, but uh, once you have uh, those days that everything falls off uh, perfectly for you, it was it was uh, pretty easy to do. Alex, I remember in your rookie year in the IndyCar series, you're driving for Dale Coyne. It was a such an odd year anyway because I think that was the COVID year if I'm not mistaken so like the season kind of yeah. gets delayed and you know we half the time there's no crowd you know we just it was very odd all of it and I recall running into you at mid-Ohio and saying to you you know what I know the results haven't been there but like I think you've been really impressive this year as a rookie and you said man I need a big result this weekend because I've got nothing for next year I got no sponsorship money I don't have anything in the hopper and you didn't have a great weekend. I, I can't remember what happened. You got punted or something. But yet the opportunity comes with Chip Ganassi and then your career takes off. And we know for those that are unfamiliar, last year after your second year with Chip Ganassi was, of course, when you announced that you were going to be going to Arrow McLaren. That went to 
a litigation and your contract was such that you're still with Chip Ganassi and you're still winning races and seemingly working well with them. Has this all to an extent been at times almost too hard to handle because it has come so fast? Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's true that uh, at Mid-Ohio that year, um, the situation was not great. Uh, didn't really have anything for the future and that weekend was going to be good for us in terms of results. We started third and got punted on turn one, so um, it was a bit frustrating, but uh, yeah, uh, Chip... Uh, personally and all the chicken ice racing team gave me the opportunity to be on a on a winning uh winning car um and and we made it we we won the championship in 21 22 was tough as you said uh wasn't ideal the situation but uh yeah we're back to normal back to how we wanna uh work and and it's been a great start of the season uh we've been always there fighting um for for the races um and 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 we had the first win of the season um this past weekend so yeah we're looking strong and hopefully you can keep it going um now for the 500 so will you engage in conversation with them regarding extending a contract with ganassi or is it kind of an understood from all parties that at the end of the year you will likely be moving to other pastures um, well, it's it's still not uh, not hundred percent sure what what we're gonna do. I think from the experience that we had last year of uh, <laughs> talking, uh, let's say outside um, outside the doors of the team, uh, we we know that it's better to keep it all internal, and, and when it's time to announce something, uh, we will do. But yeah, it's very early into the season. Um, we're focused on like each race weekend and, and hopefully we can uh, keep on winning races. The focus for this week shifts to the Oval. Alex Pillow with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, certainly a couple of years ago, quite the duel with Elio Castroneves late in that race. But I actually want to go back to maybe what... When, I guess, was the first time that you set eyes on the Oval at IMS, and what were your first impressions when you got out there on, on the track? Um, yeah, obviously, it was, um, I mean, coming from Europe, you're not used to seeing ovals, but uh, when you go to IMS, it's something crazy on how big the, the track is, uh, everything, just like the atmosphere that you feel there. Unfortunately, when... I first went into IMS. It was um, when when the pandemic was hitting really hard, and there was no fans allowed, which was pretty sad. But honestly, last year that uh, we almost had like full crowd. It was uh, it was amazing. I just had so much fun. Um, it's a race that I used to see when I was a kid from Europe. Um, a race that it's important worldwide that uh, you know that once you win that race um, you're going to be part of history not in in the US but uh, I would say motorsports in general so uh, we we had some good races there um, last year was also a good one uh, the strategy didn't fall off perfectly for us but still we had one of the fastest cars out there um, and we were able to win with, with Marcus for, for the team which was great uh, great motivation for everybody. Uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, we can keep on knocking that door. Uh, it's a tough race. It's a very long race, and you need 
honestly a, a perfect day to 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 fight for the win at the end of the race. It might be too early to ask this question, and it might be a dumb question, so I apologize ahead. But like, if I were to tell you, all right, Alex, a week from Sunday, hundred, we're on lap one eighty eight. What would be the perfect spot? that you would want to be in? Would you want to be in the lead or would you want to be second? Would you want to be third? Like, how do you kind of view potentially what, what could happen a week from Sunday and where that perfect spot would be with about 10 or 12 to go? Um, I would say always in the lead, uh, honestly. Um, you never know what's going to happen. If, if there's going to be um, a red flag or something that you, you always want to be in the lead. And once you're there, you know you can... Uh, just maybe play it a bit conservative and, and try and uh, defend here or there. Uh, but when you're in the lead, let's say that you can take more decisions. While if you're second, let's say, uh, which is always a good spot also to be like two or three laps to go, um, it's 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 tougher because it, it doesn't depend only on you. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can be up there uh, leading. That would be a perfect scenario. Otherwise, uh, it's it's one of those tracks that it doesn't matter until you cross the finish line. Like, um, yeah, everything can happen. Even uh, we saw some finishes uh, on the straight line, like 10 seconds before the or two seconds before the checklist check it like drops uh, you don't know who's gonna win so yeah uh, as long as we are in the top two three uh two laps to go i think we're gonna be in a good place to fight it alex i'm curious of this alex blows our guest on the payless cigars hotline you've been through three indy 500s now the first one we talked about kind of weird no fans you know there's a lot of weird stuff going on year two you're right there in the end battling it out with castro nevis fabulous finish Year three last year, you know, a top 10 team wins it. So it, it was a good month for you. But there's so much that goes into the 500. So I want to talk about having nothing to do with racing, totally outside of when you're in the cockpit of the car. In terms of the next two weeks, what's the thing that you actually find yourself getting most excited about? What's the most fun part of these next two weeks, whether it be the parade, whether it be appearances you have to make, whether it be like a dinner that you do. Talking What's your favorite us, part maybe? about it? Yeah, talking with us. What's your favorite part about the lead up to the Indy 500? Um, it's a special two, three weeks, man. Um, we got to do a lot of media stuff, which is super fun because it feels like everybody's super excited, the people interviewing, the people listening, yourself. I would say for me personally, uh, one of the coolest moments, I mean, everything is cool, but uh, one of my favorite moments uh, has to be the driver's parade. Um, it's just amazing, the atmosphere and the energy that you get from the fans, um, from the city itself. I think it's it's a great event. Um, my family is always there. They always come, so they make it extra uh, special. And then driver intros, man. Driver intros is the first time, like, you've, we've been here uh, for like three weeks at the IMS and there's a lot of people like um, this past weekend we have I think like 50,000 people which is quite a lot for uh, a one-day event um, but then when you walk in on the driver intros for the first time and there's like 300,000 people in front of you you can feel the sound and they say your name and people normally they they, they are happy that they say every driver's name um, it's, it's really special so I would say that's my uh, my two favorite moments, obviously the race, but uh, yeah, those are, it's just a special, 
special event uh, in general, as you can imagine. Have you ever had to sneeze during the race? I've always wondered what happens with that. Because, uh, I, um, honestly, I don't think like while driving fast just because um i mean i guess the adrenaline doesn't allow you to sneeze or something but when there's let's say cautions um and you relax a little bit more uh yeah obviously we had i had to sneeze and, and stuff like that but yeah uh nothing more than that so yeah Pretty good. That'd be kind of messy in the helmet. Well, and Jake, I guess I blame you for this, but while we're on the bodily fluid um, talk, Alex, when's the last time that you go to the bathroom on Sunday morning before race day, if you don't mind me asking? (laughs) Right before you get in the car, probably. Yeah, I mean, as as late as possible, um, but normally it's right after driver intros. Um, because before driver intros, we're all in the green room. Um, we are doing media stuff. Then you're waiting for driver intros. And then there might be a gap of like five to 10 minutes maximum before the anthem. Uh, so yeah, you need to run, try and get a, a bathroom that is not occupied and, and do the last one. But, uh, yeah, it's always hectic for all the drivers. Normally, we see each other waiting uh, to try and get <laughs> the turn there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's important to do it. I mean, we have to be really hydrated, so you normally uh, need to do many stops uh, before the race um, to, to try and avoid having any issues. Alex, last thing from me. I had the pleasure, um, as I've probably only told you 50 times in october i was in your hometown of barcelona which was absolutely beautiful i thought the people were fabulous the food i mean everything i cannot recommend it enough i thought it was one of the clearly one of the great cities in the world i know for a time you lived in indianapolis do you still call indianapolis home um and from the time that you did live here what's your favorite thing about indy yeah absolutely i live uh in indianapolis it's my third year i believe yeah um i love it i mean the only thing i struggle a little bit more might be the weather compared to spain uh i mean in spain we have an amazing weather and here now it's good but i mean we have a lot of cold for for a spanish guy um but uh, i don't know honestly i really like the area uh where i live the people as well um i don't know i just have my routine here with the team with the gym and i i love it here honestly we have a lot of fun um there's quite a lot of things to do during summer outdoors which i love so um yeah i'm i'm really happy here um if you guys could change a little bit the weather make it a bit warmer (laughs) that would be welcome otherwise yeah, I'm still good. Yeah, we'll get. Yeah, we'll, we'll get our magic powers on that. Okay, last last one, Alex. Something I love to do during the month of May, particularly as the race inches closer. I love to watch like old finishes. Particularly, I feel like over the last ten to twelve years, we've had some great ones. You were part of that just a couple years ago with Elio, like I mentioned. Have you gone back and watched that finish in particular? And if so, how many times? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know more than. I would say 50 times. Um, 15-5-0? Yeah, 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 for sure. Maybe more. I mean, I like to analyze everything. Um, At that time, honestly, I don't think I did something wrong. I just... um, I just didn't really have the experience. It was my second Indy 500. But, uh, yeah, before last year, um, I wanted to get ready. I watched it many times, and this year I've been watching it quite a lot. It's painful, but honestly, you learn. You you try and say, okay, if I'm in that situation again, what should I 
change or what can I try and do to, to avoid getting overtaken or to try and pass. Um, and yeah, I agree with you that the last in the last 10 years we had amazing finishes and also it's it's really close to what we drive now in terms of downforce and power like if we go back 15 years ago uh they had different downforce and, and therefore the, the way they drive it's a bit different but yeah um yeah hopefully we'll be ready for it um and hopefully we can be happy once the, the race is I think on YouTube, Alex, they actually have the last few laps of that duel with Castor Nevis uh, synced to the radio broadcast. So, you know, I would encourage you to partake in that just to accentuate the experience by <laughs> hearing the dulcet tones of the radio announcers, for what it's worth. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. Alex, congrats again. It was dominant over the weekend, and I know again in the car tomorrow, hopefully weather permitting, starts a pretty fun two weeks for you over at the Oval. So thank you for the time this morning. Good luck a week from Sunday, and uh, certainly we'll be rooting for you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. All right, 9 o'clock hour here. Kevin Aquarius, it's going to be a busy 9 o'clock hour. Bob Kravitz in a few. Alex Pillow at 9.30, and then as we'll do with the pop quiz all week long, a pair of tickets to the 500. What Doug Bull say with us earlier? It, he's expecting over 325,000? Correct. I think 330 is a fair number. So 350 is what he said for the 100th, um, and I believe the expectation is this will be the biggest crowd since the 100th. Pretty impressive. And I know that, you know, there was, I think a lot of people had the concern, myself included, uh, of what would happen after the 100th. Would the attendance drop? And kudos to them for seeing to it that it is not. Uh, Bob Kravitz is with us here from The Athletic. Significantly, I should say. He joins us now. Bob, I don't believe you had much of a racing background before arriving to Indy a couple no. decades ago. Um, do you have a favorite Indy 500 story, Indianapolis Motor Speedway story you've written over the past 20 years? You know, talking to Mario Andretti about 50 years since he won uh, here at Indy, that was a lot of fun. Uh, sitting and drinking bourbon uh, with uh, Alexander Rossi and writing about him. You know, my, my uh, memories are not so much, you know, a spin and win or that kind of thing or anything from the race itself. It's, what I find interesting is the month or the couple of weeks leading up to the race and some of the things I've gotten a chance to do. So that those are the ones that kind of stick with me. Bob, I have always said, and maybe I've even said this to you on the air before, but you would be a perfect person to ask this because you grew up in the Long Island area, if I'm not mistaken, but in New York, you were an yep. Islanders fan. I have always felt that the Indianapolis 500 and open wheel racing on ovals in particular is very similar to professional hockey. If you grew up in a market that has it, yep. you really enjoy it, but it's nuanced enough that the outsider that doesn't grow up with it kind of wonders what all the hub hub is about that's exactly right you know i remember telling uh our friend the late robin miller you know robin and kurt cavin and all those guys helped me quite a bit in the early years when i had absolutely no idea what was going on as opposed to now which is have a general idea of what's going on and like i said to to robin yes you know i grew up with hockey it's in my blood uh, you know, I, if I have, there's, you know, something, if Ted Lasso is on and the hockey game is on, I'm watching the hockey game. That's how serious I am about it. But look, if, if racing isn't in your blood, 
like most of the kids that I grew up with out in New York. Uh, you just don't get it. You know, our idea of motorsports is taking a cab down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and watching them try to uh, avoid uh, major crashes. That's that, that, that's our idea of motorsports. It's Bob Kravitz. He's with us here from The Athletic. Bob, tomorrow night, um, one NBA yeah. franchise is going to have things shift a whole lot for them if the ping pong balls bounce the right way. You know, since the lottery has changed how it works, I mean, now you've seen teams, you've seen teams in the Pacers position uh, with the Pelicans go from seventh to first. I guess the question that I will ask you is, do you think it's like a foregone conclusion? And obviously, it probably depends on what happens tomorrow night. Do you think it's a foregone Conclusion, the Pacers spend this pick on a rookie, or do you think this is something that could and might be moved here via trade? No, I think they I think they spend on a rookie. If they do anything, they, uh, they try to move up uh, with some of the other picks that they have. But this is such a, such a good draft that I can't imagine a lot of teams would be real uh, enthusiastic about trading those picks. I think they stay where they are. There's a couple of kids who fit the bill perfectly. Whitmore, uh, Walker. Um, they, they've got there's some power forwards out there who are exactly what uh, what the Pacers need at this point. So I think they're mostly inclined to uh, stand still and take whatever they get, and hopefully they get some good luck tomorrow night. Any um, thoughts on what Zach Eady would need to hear here at the Combine coming up this week or the rest of the month to keep his name in the draft? Yeah, I, I think he needs to find out whether he can hang defensively because you saw with uh, some teams that play small ball, uh, you know, with Penn State and then, of course, with Fairleigh Dickinson, they run him into pick and rolls constantly, and he just doesn't have the foot speed to keep up unless he's, you know, in drop coverage. And so I, I, I just – I think Zach has to find out whether he can be uh, be a guy who would 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 make a difference defensively. Um, you know, I mean, look, twenty years ago he's a top five pick. Twenty five years ago, but in the, the way the game is played now, guys, you know, there's really not a place for him, uh, a significant place for him or for uh, Trace Jackson Davis. So I'll be I'll be really interested to see. What uh, what Zach decides, you know, as I wrote a couple of weeks ago, he really doesn't have any bad choices because he's making some pretty good money at Purdue as well. So uh, I I tend to think he comes back. I, you know, that's just a total guess on my part, but I got a I got a feeling he comes back. Uh, I don't think he can improve his stock measurably, but I think I think talking to him after the Fairleigh Dickinson game, I got the sense that. He was going to look at it and listen, but that's not exactly what he wants to do. I think he wants to come back to Purdue and enjoy another year in front of the best fans and probably the best fans in the nation. And Bob, you know what's funny about that is, and I get it for Purdue fans, you know, just what an overall gut punch that FDU game was and to lose to a 16 seed in the tournament. But the reality is that might have actually been the thing that makes Zach Eady return because if they had gone right. to the Elite Eight of the Final Four then there's very little for him. I mean, doesn't that leave the taste in his mouth that he's going to say, I- I- I've got to go back and make good on that? Yeah, a little unfinished business. Right. You know, I mean, look, look uh, Trace Jackson Davis only came back because he got he got COVID just as the combine was beginning. And he told me, you know, point blank, that he was headed to the pros 
going into the combine. But he had some unfinished business, and I think he really, really enjoyed his last year at IU. And I think that that could be the case for Zach Eady. Again, I don't know his financial situation. I do know that he makes close to a million dollars at Purdue. So it's not like we're going to be passing the hat for him either way. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic. I hope he's still there. Bob, do you got us? I am. Yeah, weird, weird pregnant pause there. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Shifting gears, Bob, it's the first time we've chatted with you since the draft selection of Anthony Richardson. Colts rookies back in the building today. They'll be with the veterans the rest of the spring offseason program. Uh, what did you think of the swing for the fences with Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was exactly that. I thought I think this is a boomer bust type of selection. Uh, I thought Ed Dodd uh, was, you know, the assistant general manager for the Colts. Was really honest. He said, you know, at the beginning, I was like, this kid's got no resume. Thirteen games. What do we got here? Uh, I think I do think it's a swing for the fences, and it's something that I've given Ballard grief about. I think we all have that he's been too uh, conservative in his approach, and that he needs to take a risk. And I think this kid represents that risk. The one thing that I'll say, you know, and I completely disagree with a lot of the people in the market, and God bless them for saying what they think, but this idea that you throw him in week one, you learn you, you, you learn by playing is completely. You know, you look at Zach Wilson, you look at uh, uh, David Carr, how many quarterbacks are completely ruined too fast. To me, you go with Minshew, unless unless Richardson totally blows everybody away. But otherwise, you go with Minshew for a couple of games, maybe half a season, whatever. Look, it doesn't. It's not what the, what the fans want to see. But you put this kid in when he's good and ready. Bob, devil's advocate to that because I've definitely been one of them that has said play him early. I don't know specifically, you know, Carr and I think Zach Wilson played a good amount at BYU. You know, people bring up Patrick Mahomes and how he sat his rookie season, how that went. He also played a lot in college. I'm of the thinking that Shane Steichen looks at him and says, we don't need to overwhelm him with some immense package. We will put him out there in a very controlled sort of game plan, things that he feels comfortable with, et cetera, et cetera, and that he just needs game reps because unlike like, and again, I'd have to look at Derek Carr or Zach Wilson's college stats, but I'd be willing to bet they didn't play just 13 games. Like It's almost like right. he just needs to play in game settings, and then as a coaching staff, from a game plan standpoint, you try to scale back that, that, that game plan as best you can. I, I understand that completely, but this is a guy that has to be your dude for 10, 12 years, and I just don't think you risk... Um, you know, undermining his his uh, his confidence. Uh, I I just don't think you take those kinds of risks with a guy who's who's going to be your guy for a long, hopefully, or more. Um, uh, we look. We don't know where he's at right now. Uh, they seem to think he's coming along fine. Of course, they would say that. But let's let's give it some time. I have no problem with Gardner Minshew. None. I think he's a very good bridge quarterback and look wins and losses aren't going to matter next year which which makes your argument a little stronger wins and losses don't matter but at the same time all that matters is getting this kid out there when he's ready 
and helping him build. And, you know, like somebody wrote to me and said, well, Peyton played the whole year and it didn't seem to hurt him. Peyton played 45 games in college. This kid played 13. So I think there's a very, very big difference there. It's apples and oranges. Bob, you know what's interesting is Bob Kravitz is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. What's interesting is let's just say for the sake of argument that they do decide to, to take Richardson slowly. And to your point, mm-hmm. they hand the keys over to Gardner Minshew. It's entirely possible Gardner Minshew could be their best starting quarterback since Phillip Rivers in terms of reliability. Now, he might be – maybe he's inconsistent, but I'm with you. I kind of like the guy. Do I think that he's a long-term starting quarterback? Hell no. But do I think that he is a very serviceable player that can be competitive and, and keep fans interested while they groom a younger guy underneath him? I do think so. I, I agree with you. And, and look, if you base it on Gardner Minshew against the Colts, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, <laughs> first ballot. He, he's had first ballot. He's had some incredible games against the Colts. Every time I see that guy, he's balling out. And I just, you know, uh, if you're not sure that your kid is ready, then I have absolutely no qualms with going with Gardner Minshew and playing him for a number of games. Again, wins and losses don't much matter in the grand scheme of things. But you, you've got to be smart, and you've got to wait until Richardson really gets it before you throw him out there and throw him to the Wolves. It's Bob Kravitz from The Athletic. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Bob, let's fast forward to, uh, let's say, the year is 2031, and I have told you that one of the Pacers or the Colts have won a title in their respective sport. Uh, which franchise are you betting on? I would always bet on the Colts just because of the finances. I mean, I think the the Colts, financially, because of the way the NFL is structured, always have a chance uh, to win a Super Bowl. Um, I think the the Pacers, being being a small market team, are always at a at, at something of a disadvantage. So I would say the Colts would be the more likely team to win a championship in this town be, before the uh, Pacers. Did anything? Um... Jake and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. Did anything ever develop? And I, I feel like the NBA might have released something that, that that nothing did. Anything ever come out of the John Morant Pacers laser pointer thing in Memphis earlier this year? I know you were on that story. Yeah, yeah. They they investigated it. They say, um, and it's funny. You know, when when Sam Amick and I were were uh, trying to track that story down. We got a lot of resistance from the NBA and from the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. They were incensed that we got this story. And now look what's happened in the last couple of months. So, I mean, clearly Jaws got some issues. You know, I'm not smart enough to know if it's mental health. I'm not sure if he's just a bad guy. I, I don't know what the deal is, but... You know, if they had taken it seriously from the very beginning, maybe some of these uh, incidents that have happened since then, maybe they would not have happened. You, you never know. But, Bob, I had mentioned this earlier. To me, it's a fascinating discussion because while I, I have no idea what might have been written into John Morant's contract, I'm under the assumption probably nothing because the contract would have been signed before these indiscretions would have appeared but how do you discipline somebody for something that is criminally that's not criminal is what i'm getting at in other words does it show lack of maturity 
sure. Yeah. Does it show a, a tone deafness given, especially in a city like Memphis that has absolutely, but he is not. He's not broken the law in any way, shape, or form. So how do you crunch down on that? Well, I, I look. I, I think guys do stuff all the time that that get that gets them. I mean, it's not it's not illegal to rip uh, rip a referee after a game, but you get fined pretty significantly for it. So I think I, I think the league is its own law in a way. You know, I mean, the NFL is always bring coming down hard on guys you know even if they even if they don't commit a, a legal indiscretion so I, I i don't have a problem with it i mean i think they just got to keep going in his pocketbook and he's got to get help man you know he supposedly went and got help um how much of that was pr and how much of that was real i don't know i have never met john morant so i wish him i wish him better judgment in the future um, again, you never know if it's mental health. You don't know if the guy is just a bad guy. You, you don't know these things unless you really dive into into his background and his personality. The biggest concern for me would be this, and that is, and I'm talking about if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, we can sit here and say every team, Bob, every team in any sport always says, well, we believe in character first. You know, we, we really yeah, want, we right. want guys, they all say that, right? Uh, uh, and look, character often is defined by the X's and O's. And in John Morant's case, my concern if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies is once this all came about and he was suspended and went to the counseling and whatever else, I thought his play dropped, quite frankly. I, I thought there oh, were yeah. games in the playoffs, he was just another guy on the floor. And that was never the case with this guy when we didn't know as much about him. Yeah, yeah, I, it was strange. I, I watched a lot of that series, and you're right. I mean, he had some games during the playoffs like Harden had Harden had yesterday. It's hard to figure, but, I mean, I think John Morant is in a bad place, you know, and I, I, I feel for him to some degree. Again, maybe he's just a jerk and, and doesn't, doesn't get it. But so I really would like to see some of the veterans in this league, you know, uh, Come together and, and 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 reach out to Ja, and maybe they have. I don't know, but some of the, some of the guys who are solid pros in this league who get it and reach out to Ja and try to figure out what's going on. Not that they're psychologists or anything, but maybe he listens to a Jason Tatum or a Tyrese Halliburton or somebody uh, who who uh, lives the life that he leads. Not the same in the same manner, but leads the NBA star life. You know, I'm a little kind of torn on the Morant thing from more of a background standpoint, and I guess I'll explain this. I've always found his background very interesting because he wasn't this mega five-star recruit. He went to Murray State. You know, part right. of me is like, oh, he's not going to run and, and join these, you know, star-laden teams. He didn't grow up in an AAU mega culture and Team USA this and that. But I almost wonder had he had he grown up in that environment, maybe he would be a little bit more cognizant of his off-the-court stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. He'd be more... Um He'd be held accountable a little bit more, uh, I think, if he had played uh, at those levels. I- I'm not really sure. It's a really good point, but it- it's very, very hard to say. You know, he's and I'm not condoning his activity. To be clear, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I understand he's from you know a, a very solid family, and 
you know, he's not a kid who comes from, from a tough background. This is my understanding from what I've read. So who knows what's going on in this guy's head. Maybe he's trying to ingratiate himself to, to certain people. Um, you know, it's hard for players with, you know, the guys they grow up with sometimes who uh, get to be part of their circle um, and, and don't have their best interests in heart. So he's just got to find a way to free himself of some of these people who are influencing him in, the, in a bad way. And for, let's be honest, he's influencing himself. He, nobody, nobody is waving that gun except for John Moran. Uh, Kraken or Stars tonight in Game 7? I think Philip Grubauer steals the game, and your mighty Kraken move on. Your mighty Kraken. Jake, you think that's a phrase that's ever been said? Listen, my last name starts with the letter Q, and they've been telling me forever the Kraken's on its way. So, you know, the storm is rising. I'm just telling you. Those, uh, those I don't understand. I don't understand that at all, Jake. What did you just say? <laughs> so I didn't follow that one. Okay, I will tell you this: Be- because my last name starts with the letter Q, and I made the mistake of wearing a Q hat forever. The QAnon folks like thought that that I was saying that I was part of QAnon, and the whole the whole thing about like the storm rising. Their code word for that was Kraken before Seattle came up with this team, and like oh, I didn't. The Kraken is rising, the the banks are going to fall, and it's all a reset of the new world order. Aren't you Here glad you Kraken. joined us today, Bob? Well, you guys uh, asked. I got I got a tea time in five minutes. <laughs> what the hell were you thinking? I'm just telling you. Uh, do you have an overall NHL pick the rest of the way, Bob? All my teams are gone. I mean, the Islanders are gone. Sure. I'll tell you who's. I'll tell you who's really good. Tell you who's really good, uh, Carolina. Carolina is really good. I like the way Frederick Anderson is playing in that. They're really good. And uh, Florida Panthers, holy smoke! You beat Boston and you beat Toronto. Hey, that layoff might be what hurts Florida more than anything because they were red hot. They were red hot. And Bobrovsky is a goalie. Uh, not to bore the hell out of your listeners, which I've done yeah. for the last 20 minutes. We've already done it over but, two hours. Yeah, yeah, I figured as much. Uh, but he's a guy who's always been good in the regular season, has always sucked in the postseason. This might be his year to kind of step out and play well in the postseason because he's a talented dude. I love that I go on a QAnon rant and Bob's then worried about losing the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Bob, I, if want to see those ratings, I want to see those ratings for this particular That's right. That's like a sharp turn at yeah. 919. Uh-huh, yeah. Big nosedive there. Uh, Bob, if you are getting out there today, hit him well. All right. Will do. David Burnett was correct, sending me the guess on Twitter. In terms of the number one overall selection in the NBA draft, that of which had the highest single-season scoring average as a rookie, was 1961. Walt Bellamy, the pride of Newburgh, North Carolina, and Indiana University for the Chicago Packers, 31.6 a game, narrowly edging out Oscar Robertson, who was at 30.5 the year before. Those are the two highest single-season rookie scoring averages for number one overall selections. Joining us now, by the way, on the Payless Ziggers Hotline, as we... Turn from the road course to the Oval and getting set for the greatest spectacle in racing, which will take place two weeks from yesterday. The Indianapolis 500, Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, joins us. Doug, I'm going to begin with this, and it's going to sound like I'm carrying water. That's not my intention, but 
for the road course of the GMR Grand Prix, my broadcast position is the top of the Southeast Vista. So I am looking out over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway from the southeast corner. And about halfway through the race, I, I just kind of had this epiphany in looking across the way at turn four and down. Of course, I can't see the main straight, but I can see the seats in turn one of the oval I'm talking about. And I literally thought to myself, this is the biggest crowd I've seen since the first year that they did this event. Now, were my eyes playing tricks on me? You know, I, I appreciate that you noticed that. So I got a call early during the day from our team as we were trying to look through things and figure out where we were and we felt like it was definitely stronger than anything uh, since 2017 and, um, and then as we looked at things uh, after the event and went through all of our bag sales you know because people could still do walk-ups and a lot of the other things that we ended up having the best attendance we've had since the first race uh, I think to be really transparent 2015 would have been a bigger crowd, but 15 and 16 uh, were both plagued by a little rain, so the walk-up wasn't quite the same on those two days as it was over the weekend for us. So it did end up being the second largest, although I think had weather been nice in 15 and 16, they might that those two might have eclipsed this one. But, yeah, it was a great event. And approximately, well, what is that number, Doug? So we are closing in on uh, 50,000. We were a tick... Uh, we were right at 45,000 last year, and I haven't gotten the official, official number yet. It's over 48,000. Um, I was hoping it'd be a little closer to 50 by the time I get the official number this morning, but but uh, we had about 70,000 people over the weekend. Uh, right, right around 20,000 people showed up on Friday, and then uh, a little over two and a half times that on, on uh, Saturday. I thought you posted a really cool video late Saturday night of you know a, a heavy load of workers already going to work on you know changing the road course into the oval configuration. And my novice brain just was like, "Wow, does it really take that much work?" And, and why the sense of urgency on Saturday night? Uh, feel free to fill me in on how much work that is and, and why that's needed when you know guys aren't getting back out there until tomorrow. Yeah, well, because you never know when weather's going to be bad. And if you've got lightning, nobody can work. And so in Indiana weather, if it's nice after the race is over, we're going to move as much as many of those massive concrete barriers as we can move and get set so that we can start putting fence panels on them. And you got to connect all those fence, all those. First of all, you got to deconnect all of those concrete barriers and then connect them. So if somebody does impact them, not one barrier that's moving. You, you're, you're transferring that weight through all the barriers and you got to get fences in. But we've learned our lesson by by procrastinating, and then when weather comes, the guys can't go out and work, and then you really get yourself in a situation where uh, you can delay the start of the event. So it's absolutely critical that we get started right away. Doug, I'm going to ask um, kind of an odd question, I realize. Doug Bowles is our guest because I hate even jinxing anything with weather conversation, right? But uh, somebody asked me this, and I think it's a good question. With tomorrow being the day that practice gets underway, for the Indianapolis 500 with a variation of schedules. But for the most part, between 9 and 6, there are going to be uh, opportunities to see cars on track. For people that buy like single-day, I don't know if you can buy like single-day badges or or whatever it may be, but if you have bought stuff that is good for only tomorrow, if that's even a reality, and things are completely washed, do, do, does that stuff transfer to the next day? So you can't, you can't buy a single day credential, so that that's not that's not a challenge. Okay. If you buy a if you buy a practice day ticket, your practice day ticket is good for any practice day, so it's not specific to a day. So if you've pre purchased a practice day ticket, 
and you wake up tomorrow morning, you decide you don't want to go, or you wake up tomorrow morning, it's raining, you can use that ticket, um, you know, at some other point in time. So, so that, so there shouldn't be an issue for anybody, especially for these first four, uh, four days of practice beginning tomorrow. Um, that, that it's an impact. The only place where it would impact you is if you're a guest of Jake Query and his fancy suite that he has on Tower in Tower mm-hmm. Terrace, and and you were a guest for tomorrow, and it rains tomorrow. Um, you are likely, you would have to talk to Jake Query to find out if he wants you to come back the next day or if he's already got 80 customers coming the next day. That's right. the only place it might impact you. Well, and, I, and from that I can tell you, for me, you know, hey, the more the merrier. Just come any day you want in my suite, right? It's not really how it works. I, I think that's. I think you. Sh- I think you should. Um, <laughs> and make sure you ask the yellow shirt to point you to, to Jake's suite. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where, right. where they where they send you? Yeah. <laughs> Official name Jason Lloyd Query on the that's outside right. of that. Um, hey Doug, for me personally, you know everybody has their thing in preparation for the Indy 500 that is like the mental hurdle that like keeps them awake at night. For me, it's navig. It's figuring out making sure that i'm at the track in time on race day and then that i've got a parking spot those are like my two big things but for you personally as the president of the indianapolis motor speedway and with your team as you guys are are bracing for it what is the thing that always feels like the hurdle that is the most difficult to nail down and feel secure about well the the ones that i can't really control the most so traffic because I know that traffic impacts everyone. I, our team, we all like to say, look, we, what makes your race day starts when you leave your house or, your, or, or hotel, or frankly, it starts when you leave your house, even if you live in California. And if anything goes wrong between that time and the time you get to the speedway and, frankly, the time you get back home, it can taint your entire experience. So whether it's a, an airplane that's delayed or a flat tire in your rental car or traffic that's terrible getting in or getting out, I mean, those are... Um, those are the things that, that, that we worry about, but we really can't control. And, and one, a couple things on traffic. Traffic is, you know, we're the second largest city in the state of Indiana inside the racetrack on race day. So when everybody is trying to get there at the same time or leave at the exact same time, traffic is going to be a challenge. It just is, it's not possible to make it not a challenge. So what we try and do, though, is make it as simple as possible for those 325,000 people. But all it takes is one one accident at one intersection a half a mile from the racetrack, and that impacts everybody, right? Because you have to divert folks. It, it becomes a huge challenge. So that, that one I, I worry about quite a bit. I worry about our gates. I mean, how do we make sure that we're getting everybody in and in, in a timely manner, especially this year with those open gates that metal detectors were sending folks through to make sure that they're safe? And then I worry about weather. Um, not because I wake up every day and wonder if it's going to be nice for the race. I just worry about weather. If severe weather comes in, how do we make sure we give everybody in the, in the grandstands an opportunity uh, to seek shelter or to shelter in place or do whatever they feel most comfortable doing? It's President of Speedway, Doug Bowles. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. We will give away a pair of tickets to the 500 coming up. Um, to close out the show today with the pop quiz, Alex Pillow is going to be with us at 9.30. Doug, looking ahead to this weekend, I believe the format for Sunday is pretty much the same as last year. You're going to have 12 cars that, that could be, you know, or will be, I guess, running for the poll, and then you'll you, you'll bump one. But there's a slight change in the schedule this year, right, for Sunday um, to allow, you know, those engines to cool down a little bit for the for the top guys yeah and and because and because we have uh, the bumping opportunity this year it allowed us really to add some more content on sunday where last year we didn't so last year it was really just about the top 12 
so so this year it will be about the fast twelve, and then um, the the bumping, and then the and then the final the final six. And and where last year when you were the fast twelve, you you ran, and then the fastest six of those ran basically immediately again. So this year, what we're going to do is we're going to allow those fast twelve to run, and then there'll be a break that's long enough that'll give those six cars time to cool down. And if you can cool the cars down, you can keep the speeds up. So we're excited about what, what that's going to do. And then on the bumping side, when folks are bumping, when historically when you cross the start-finish line for the checkered flag in your qualifying run, you have to pit immediately. Uh, the IndyCar Series is going to allow those cars an extra lap to cool down because in their window of qualifying, they're going to get multiple attempts. So that extra lap where they can run um, – you know, really coasting almost as much to get the get the engine cooled. That'll give them a better opportunity to keep their speeds up as well. So uh, it'll be an interesting qualifying session. I've I've started to as somebody who loved pole day being on Saturday and struggled to get used to this um, over the last few years. I found that I really love this qualifying format, and I think our fans do too. Last year we had one of our best Sunday qualifying attendances uh, in the last twenty years, and I think that'll happen again this year. Doug Bowles, our guest, he's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. He is, of course, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Doug, I'm curious of this fact, um, and I would assume you have a general idea on this. So this year for the race, and I'm super pumped about this. This doesn't make me unique. This is true for so many people. Um, my buddy Michael from Australia, who you may or may not recall meeting Doug when I was touring him through the Speedway a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I think. Michael's yeah, I coming. He's got. Um, he's bringing seven buddies. So there are eight Australians that are flying here for the 500. They're making a whole weekend of it and taking in the race itself. I'm thrilled about that. And then I got to thinking about it. From a ticket standpoint, do you know roughly how many states like are represented by people that come to the 500 and how many different countries are represented by fans of the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, so two weeks ago, the last time I asked the question, we were all 50 states um, and 35 countries. So I haven't asked in the last two weeks. So obviously we're not going to add any more states since we've got all 50 of them. Uh, but we may have added a, a country or two since then. But it's 50 states and 35 countries are, are represented in the grandstands. That's unbelievable. Wait, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Uh, is there like a, I don't know, a continent that's a little bit more uh, centric to those 35 countries than, than others? I would assume, you know, some sort of Central America, South America, but I imagine a good amount of Euro- Europeans as well. Well, historically, it had been European that was um, from a continent standpoint. Um, however, with Pado and the popularity of Pado and then with uh with it being TK's last race, and obviously uh, Elio, um, I'm not exactly sure now. It's a great question. I'm going to ask that one, and by next week, I'll have an answer for you. I love it, and you will join us again next Monday. Uh, just a couple more. Again, Doug Bowles with us here, the president of the Speedway. Doug, uh, announcements for this week. Obviously, it's a busy week on track, practice-wise, coming up Fast Fridays, Fast Friday and then Qualls, but uh, any announcements to look out for this week from you guys? Yeah, that's a great question. I haven't I haven't talked to PR team. I know we're going to announce our pace car driver the beginning of next week. So that'll be um, after we get the field set. So we'll do that one the beginning of next week. We have um, a couple other celebrity announcements to uh, make for sure. The national anthem um, got that sorted. We just need to get it announced. We have a couple of uh, additional celebrities. Um, a couple I'm pretty excited about. I don't know if we're doing those this week or next, um, but those are coming up for sure. Doug, when it comes to, and I've appreciated the fact, that just for example, like with the GMR Grand Prix, the transparency of 
attendance. In terms of estimates, I think it's probably impossible to be able to say exactly. But I've always wondered this. You and I have discussed it a little bit, but on race day, let's say that it let's say that we have a day that is just a beautiful 75 degree clear sky, low humidity, perfect Indianapolis late May day on Sunday race day. So you get walk up if they're still available. And I'm looking out throughout that massive facility, including the people that are in the snake pit, that are listening to Shaquille O'Neal, including those that are, you know, on the grounds and in the suites and everything else. Not to the exact, but what is a realistic number, relatively speaking, of what the Indianapolis 500 would host? Well, I think, I mean, obviously in 2016, when we sold it out, we were right at 350,000 total people in the venue. Um, and then last year, we were close to uh, 325,000, and we're going to be right in that neighborhood again this year, slightly more. Um, so that's really where, where we where we are. Um, our, our walk-up on a traditional walk-up day, if it was a beautiful day, I think you could anticipate somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12,000 people that didn't didn't have a ticket that decided race day morning they were going to come that would be a that would be a pretty big walk-up back in the day the walk-up used to be a lot a lot larger but the pre-sale was smaller so our fans have gotten to the point where they realize that they they want better seats if they want to make sure they, they get to the speedway they're buying earlier than they used to buy um but i would say you'd be in that you know 10 to fifteen thousand range of additional people that would walk up if the day was just a perfect indiana um you know may may afternoon Think about that, Kevin. Nearly half the NFL draft right there to watch the Indianapolis 500. (laughs) Why do you even have to go there? Doug, last one for me as we thankfully move away from that one. Jake and I were actually talking about this. It might have been last week. What's new with that Caesars Lounge? I I think you guys opened this up last year. I I never got to kind of peek my head in there, but like, is there anything new on that front? Can you kind of explain for our audience what the thought process was behind that? Yeah, so last year we experimented with having a having a, a sports betting lounge on property, um, and you know we had, we had, it was a good experiment. The challenge with it was, if you think about, it, especially race day when we have our largest number of people, the vast majority of our customers sits outside of the oval. So to have that inside, it was it was not really easy for people to get to. It worked okay on practice days, um, so we. Uh, um, we went ahead and we've changed that this year into uh, it's really a grab and go. One of the one of our biggest challenges last year was our just our throughput of our concessions, making sure that people were able to pick up a, a coke or a beer or whatever they needed as quickly as possible. Um, so when they when we did that this year, now it's you walk in, it's a it's a the grab and go. So you've got your your Pepsi coolers are full there. You've got beer there. You've got some hot food, just some some stuff you can pick up and take on out with you. And, and this is located exactly where. It is located in the infield, in like behind the pagoda, um, near the what we call you know our plaza stand, our big concession stand in the in the pagoda okay. plaza area. So on the on the south side of the pagoda plaza, it's kind of like right by where we broadcast for Carb Day, right, Jake? Correct. Yeah, close okay. to that. Mm-hmm. Doug, I, I wanted to also um, make people aware of this. I think it's important to reemphasize the last time that we had you on, and I would assume this is something that is still worth mentioning. Uh, you kind of wanted at that time to make clear that people were aware of situations with their prepaid parking, and I would assume that that is still something that people need to be aware of, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a lot of people actually show up in the office with with the fake parking passes that they've purchased on um, secondary ticket market platforms, and uh, 
just been trying to help those folks out to make sure that we get them get them sorted with proper with proper parking. But uh, that still uh, is a problem. So if you're buying if you're buying anything on a secondary platform, just know that we can't help you if it's if it's not if it's not real when you show up on race day. So if you purchase something there and you're a little concerned about it, especially the parking passes, because those have just been uh, photocopied basically um you know call the ticket office at 317-492-8500 or come on in the ticket office and we can help you work through that doug any hint on the pace car driver um no uh, no hint on the uh, pace car driver although i think i think you guys in particular will like it mm-hmm. i i'd consider that a hint jake i do too Jay Corey's brain churning like Alex Blow's <laughs> wheels on Saturday at the Grand Prix. Doug, See, unfortunately, it can't be me because I'm hosting 80 people in the turn two suites, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know if your ego would fit in the cockpit either. <laughs> That's right. On that end. Uh, Doug, great stuff with us all month long. Really appreciate it and uh, enjoy, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, looks like pretty good weather the rest of this week. Looking forward to talking on, uh, on Monday of race week. All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me.